0: guys who are here with us. Last week, my wife told you that she spent a lot of time dating in college. I think her exact words were, she changed boyfriends like people change socks, all right? It was just always like looking for the next one, looking for the uh, right guy. I was almost the exact opposite. I had a very different experience. I barely dated anybody before I ended up getting married. And that's because I was kind of the guy that was either going to like cut it off real fast or I was going to commit real fast, you know? I would date you for two dinners or two Two years, there was no in-between at all. I think I've been on a date with like six people in my entire life. I just don't have a ton of dating experience. But even with my limited history on the subject, I know that dating is tough. Can I get an amen from anybody who's single, anybody who's recently married? That's right. Dating is very, very difficult. And in fact, it gets more difficult as time goes on. These days, you've got like, what? Online dating, blind dating, speed dating, group dating, casual dating, radiocarbon dating. It's just overwhelming. There's so much. It's very hard to know the right way to date, the way that's gonna get you to a healthy relationship and hopefully to a lifelong committed marriage. Now, as a pastor, when I know that people are looking for help on a particular subject, my my first reaction, as it should be, is to go to the Bible and to say, here's what the Bible says on the subject. And this will be helpful. It's ancient wisdom that'll help you to figure out what God wants for you in this area of your life. And so as we were doing this relationship goal series, I was like, okay, let's go to the Bible and let's look at everything it has to say on the subject of dating. And you know what? what I heard? Crickets. Believe it or not, the Bible actually doesn't have much to say on the subject of dating. Well, Dan, I thought you Christians believed that the Bible had the answer to everything, almost everything. It doesn't say much on the subject of dating, though. And the reason for that is because the whole modern concept of dating really only came about in the last hundred years or so. Like the word dating as a romantic pursuit didn't even exist until the 1920s. So this is a really, really new phenomenon. Back in the day, including in Bible times, of course, we didn't choose our own romantic partners remember our families chose our romantic partners for us that seems like a bad idea you didn't marry for love you married for legacy it was all about strengthening the community it was all about you know shoring up family relationships and things like that and so back in the day they just had a very different way of finding their spouse and so um, the bible really doesn't have much to say on the subject of modern dating but can I tell you the bible actually has a lot to say on the subject of healthy relationships The Bible speaks time and time again on what it takes to have relationships that are life giving, not life sucking, relationships that will make you feel like it's a joy to have somebody by your side instead of like being attached to like an awful person forever. Like the scriptures really do give us a great deal of insight on what it takes to have healthy romantic relationships, business relationships, family and friendships. All of those things are definitely found in the scripture. So what I wanna do this morning is I'm gonna read you a simple verse that will help guide you towards healthier relational goals help you to have a healthier relational life, whether you're single, whether you're engaged, whether you're married, divorced, whatever your situation is. Although our focus this morning is gonna be on dating, I want you to know the principles that we're gonna read in this verse actually do apply to basically every situation in life, every uh, relational circumstance. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter number two, verse 22. This is super easy to remember because it's 2 Timothy 2.22. You thought Tuesday, right, that last week when we celebrated all those twos in a row you thought that was here but no it's actually right here 2 Timothy 2:22 2. look i know my jokes are stupid before i say them it's okay it's my thing i don't even care 2 Timothy chapter number 2 verse 22 says this run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts instead pursue righteous living faithfulness love and peace enjoy the companionship of those who call on the lord with pure parts. Okay, now this verse is written by a guy who was named Paul. He was a missionary that lived in the first century, and he like traveled all around like Greece and Turkey and kind of the ancient Mediterranean rim starting churches. So he went to this uh, city in ancient Turkey called Ephesus, and he started a church there, and then he found a young local kid, and he made him the pastor. This kid's name was Timothy. And so in the letters to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to this young guy, and he's basically telling him, hey, this is how you should live as a pastor. This is how how you should live as a single young man because Timothy was unmarried. There's no mention of his spouse anywhere here in the passage. And so what you'll find in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are a lot of verses that deal with relationships, that deal with like romance and friendships and respecting elders and all of these different things because the relational issues that Timothy was facing were pretty important. And they're the same ones that we're facing today. And again, I want to point out that Paul is not giving Timothy dating advice here. This is not like dating specific advice. You're not gonna get a few verses down the line and Paul's gonna say, now Tim, don't text her for at least 24 hours after the date because then she'll just think you're thirsty, all right? No, he's not gonna go that direction. Instead, he's talking about relationships in general. And that's why I say these words really do, they have the power to change things for you, whether you're married, single, dating, or anything in between, all right? So what we see here in this verse, and this is gonna be kind of our outline or our roadmap for this morning, we see that Paul tells Timothy three things, three things that you should probably consider as well. This verse offers us the wisdom on what to run from, what to run to and who to run with. All right, that's what we see here. What to run from, what to run to and who it is that we should be running with. Paul starts by telling Timothy to run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. All right, if I were to ask you which word in that sentence stood out, most of you would say lust, right? Because that's a powerful word and there's a lot of meaning and it's kind of a touch. We're like, oh, that's interesting. Where's he going with this, right. But I don't think the, the most important word here is the word lusts. And everybody has got kids in the room is like, oh, thank goodness. Um, no, I think the most important word in this sentence is the word youthful. Let me put this here on the screen for you. That word youthful actually has a very specific meaning. The word youthful in this sense, it means childish, naive, or immature, Childish, naive, or immature, okay? So Paul tells Timothy to run from basically immature ideas and desires about relationships. That's the goal here. He's telling him, don't buy into simplistic, childish ideas of what it's like to find a spouse and then to live with a spouse for the rest of your life. Hey, can I be direct for a minute? Most of us in the world today have pretty naive views of dating and marriage, Most of us end up having pretty immature views of what a good marriage is like, what we're supposed to be looking for whenever we date. I mean, like we have such simplistic goals when we're dating. We're like, I'm just trying to find my soulmate. That's all I'm after. I'm trying to find that perfect person. That's my goal. We have loose boundaries in our dating life, in our relationship life in general, but certainly in our dating life. And so we tie up our emotions and our finances and our bodies with these people that really should have no business having that kind of access to us. Our primary teachers about what love is and what it means and what it's supposed to be are movies and music and social media. I think you can make a really strong argument that the greatest influence on what true love is in our modern world today are Disney cartoons. You know what I'm saying? Like you can really every single Disney cartoon is about the princess trying to get with the right guy. You know, we talk about having fairy tale romances, don't we? So we see in the world around us a lot of ideas about what we should be pursuing in our romantic and relational lives. But if we start to examine them, we find out that a lot of it is very immature and it just doesn't hold up under much scrutiny. Let me share with you what I think might be the most naive or superficial thing we believe about love and dating in 2022. I call it the right person myth. All right? The right person myth. And the right person myth is basically the idea that once I find the right person, everything will turn out all right. That's all I need. I just need to find the right person. And if you're paying attention, this right person myth, you guys, it's everywhere around you. So you might hear ladies talking about how they're looking for Mr. Right. Or if we consider those cartoons, the Disney movies that I mentioned a moment ago, how do all of them end? They always end the exact same way. Finally, the prince and the princess are getting married together in the castle, and they're like birds, and everybody's happy and cheering. And as the scene fades to black, it always ends with the exact same words, and they all lived Happily ever after. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So the implication here from the world around us is like, as long as you find the right person, then everything's going to be all right. That's the goal of dating. And the flip side of that, the converse is also true, that if you somehow are not experiencing good things, if everything in your relational life is not all right, then it's because you chose the wrong person in the first place. We believe that our goal during the dating season is to find the perfect person, our soulmate, our better half. And so we put so much pressure on discovering the right person, the one that you just Click with. But guys, that really is one of the most immature ideas that we can have when it comes to love and dating. Now don't misunderstand what I mean here, okay? I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be looking for the right person. Like, what's the alternative to that? Oh, I'm looking for the wrong person because I know the right one doesn't exist. No, of course not. That's not it. What I'm saying is naive is the idea that once you find the right person, everything's gonna be easy. Everything's gonna turn out okay. It's you're not gonna fight. You're not going to stress. You're not going to disagree. Listen, ask anybody who has been married, okay? And they will tell you that at least on their wedding day, they were certain that they were marrying the right person. But all of us couples have learned by this point that marrying the right person doesn't guarantee anything. That life and love and marriage and sharing a home and raising a family together are brutally difficult. And no ma- <laughs> Bro, your wife's around here. You need to stop. And look, no matter what the movies have told us or the rom-coms or the music or whatever, like finding the right person does not guarantee that your marriage is going to go the distance. Finding the right person does not guarantee that you're not going to fight or divorce or something like that. Why is this? It's because of this truth. Relationships don't fix your flaws. Relationships highlight your flaws. Are you with me? Relationships do not fix your flaws. See, we talked last week about how when we're looking for our other half, the better person, you know, the, the one who completes me, what we're essentially saying is I need somebody to make up for the things that I lack. Fix my flaws. Rescue me from myself. The problem is relationships do not work that way. They do not fix your flaws, they highlight your flaws. When you get into a relationship with somebody, it is like a giant spotlight is shined right on all of your weaknesses, all of your insecurities, all of your flaws. If you, for instance, are a person with a short temper, okay? If you have a short temper, listen, your fuse is gonna stay lit when you have to share a bathroom with somebody. Anybody have this difficulty, this tension in your home? I cannot tell you how often my wife has uttered the phrase, If I find beard hair in the sink one more time, so we had, yeah, she's like, preach, come on. We had to get separate bathrooms because this was such a difficult thing for us. If you are a person with a short temper, listen, add somebody else to the mix and you'll find yourself blowing your top all the time. If you struggle in a single, in your single life with uh, managing your money well, right? It can be very easy to hide that when you're on your own. But if you have a second set of eyes that are looking at all of your purchases, good luck. See, having a relationship doesn't fix your problem. It highlights your problem. If you're a fearful person just on your own, then getting into a relationship is going to give you a brand new set of anxieties to fret over you will become more of what you already are once you add a second person to the mix because relationships don't fix your flaws. They highlight them. So in 2 Timothy 2.22, the two verses, right? Um, Tim, uh, Paul tells Timothy to run, run, flee, escape from these sorts of naive ideas about relationships. And instead he says, I want you to run too. So we're running away from childish, simplistic ideas that will end in lust and not love. And instead we're going to run toward, we're going to run to personal maturity. He encourages Timothy to pursue four things in his life. Righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. And listen, I think all of these are super important on their own, and he chose those words strategically, but I really believe these are just four examples of the sorts of things that we should be pursuing and developing in our own lives before the right person ever comes along. Listen to me now. Before you ever advertise your relationship goals, you should be accomplishing some singleness goals. There are some things in your life, in your heart, in your relationships, in your bank account, in your ties to your family, there are some things that you should be dealing with right here and now that will set you up better for a relationship in the future. We run away from simplistic ideas like, oh, if I find the right person, everything's going to be all right, and we run towards the hard work of maturity and development and getting ourselves ready for what we hope is to come. I do a fair bit of crisis marriage counseling. It's like when a couple comes in and they're like, hey, we're really struggling and we need outside perspective. We need somebody to referee. It, like, It's gotta be tonight, okay? And you know what I've discovered in most crisis counseling situations? We're not dealing with marriage problems in these situations. We're dealing with singleness problems that never got addressed before the couple said, I do. Most of the problems in your marriage are not because you too, it's because you or they didn't address some of these really important and weighty things in the single and dating season. And they are continuing to bear rotten fruit long into the married season. Now, listen, here's the good news about that. Because a lot of times when people come in for counseling, they sit in the chair and they're like, well, this will never get better until he starts. This will never get better until she quits. Right? Right? But that's not what the scriptures say. We run towards personal development. We run towards personal maturity. We run towards our responsibility in this situation. I can't control what she does. You, she can't control what he does. Instead, I'm going to focus on me, on what I can control, what I should be dealing with. And I'm going to trust that the other person is going to do the same relationships, they don't fix your flaws, they highlight them. And when it comes time to address them, it is our responsibility to address our own issues rather than merely blaming our spouse. Healthy marriages, you guys, are built long before you say, I do. That's why we say to those of you guys that are single or dating, like you've got such an opportunity in front of you. You literally can lay the foundation for a healthy marriage before you even know who your spouse is gonna be. You can set yourself up for success at 16, 17, 18, 25 years old and get a leg up on your parents, your grandparents, and everybody else that you go to school with. Consider these four things that Paul tells Timothy to run towards. He says you should run towards righteous living. That phrase is, it's just a way of saying, live in such a way that brings you closer to God. That's what he's saying. Live in such a way that you become more godly as a result. So the question that I ask for you is like, are you working to become more like Jesus in your season of singleness or dating? That should be one of your primary goals. Like, I want to be more Christ-like. I I don't think anybody would have a problem who, like, I don't think anybody would have a problem with dating somebody who exhibited the characteristics and qualities of Jesus in their relationship, you know? I mean, he was kind, he was forgiving, he was patient. For goodness sake, that sounds like a good person to be in a relationship with. And so Paul tells Timothy, listen, run towards personal development. One of the things you should be focusing on in this season is to develop a, a way of life that brings you closer to God. Then he goes on to say pursue faithfulness faithfulness Hey isn't that a really interesting thought that you develop the ability to stay faithful to your mate while you're still single or you damage your ability to stay faithful to your mate while you're still single See I mean like look I'm just going to be real infidelity is not a marriage problem it's a singleness problem Oh okay it really is. Listen, guys, you are not training yourself to be faithful by pulling up your private browser tab every night. That's training you that one person is not enough. You spend you spend years feeding your brain the idea that this person and this person and this and this situation and on and on and on. And then you wonder why you have so much trouble saying committed to your spouse. Come on. We are not pursuing faithfulness in the season when it matters most. God calls us to develop this capacity to love and to commit even when we're still single. Paul tells Timothy, chase after love. You're like, wait, wait, that's the whole point of dating, right? I'm chasing after love. I'm trying to find my boo. The problem is the word love that he uses here is not a romantic love. We're going to talk about this next week. Next week, we're going to talk about what true love actually means from a biblical perspective. Oh, man, it's going to be good. Okay, but... For today, what I want you to know is that the type of love that Paul's talking about here is a commitment to someone else, regardless of your relationship to them or your feelings towards them. Love from a biblical perspective is a commitment to somebody else, regardless of your relationship to them and regardless of your feelings towards them. You can and should be doing that while you're still dating, or while you're still single. You don't wait until you get married in order to develop this kind of love. It's something that happens even from the beginning. I mean, honestly, this is almost like love your enemies level stuff here. And that's a good thing because sometimes it's gonna feel like your spouse is your enemy, all right? So if you can learn to develop this kind of commitment and love that exists independent of relationship or feelings, you will be set up for a better marriage in the long term. And then finally, look, uh, Paul tells Timothy to develop Peace, develop peace. And I I want to remind you, we say this all the time. Anytime we talk about peace and anxiety, anytime we talk about peace from a biblical perspective, peace is not the absence of chaos in your life. Peace is not the absence of chaos. You say, well, right now the world is at war, so we don't have peace. Right now, I'm feeling anxious, or my life is kind of upended and upturned relationally or financially, so I cannot have peace. Peace from a biblical perspective is not the absence of chaos in your life. From a biblical perspective, peace is a calm confidence in the middle of all the chaos in your life. That you don't have to freak out or at least freak out as badly, just because circumstances are raging around you. There is a calm confidence that comes from knowing there is a God who is in control. He sees you, he loves you, he has a good plan for your life. That sort of peace is something that you don't need another person to pursue. You can develop that on your own right now, no matter what your marital situation is like. Peace is a singleness goal, not a relationship Okay, so I want you to understand Paul's advice here. We're going to begin to wind down. Not quite, but we're getting there. Understand his advice. Run away from the childish goal of finding the perfect person and run towards the goal of becoming the right person. Run away from the idea of finding, run toward the idea of becoming, and then hopefully you'll be in the right spot when you do find the, the correct person. It might actually be helpful to ask this question. Am I the kind of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? All right, that is the weirdest sentence, I think. It was like, wait, what, huh, huh? Okay, am I the kind of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? If you are single, if you're looking for your person, you've got this long list of qualities and characteristics that you want to be true of them, that you want them to be this and they need to be that, and you've you've just got this big long list, all right? And there is nothing wrong with the list whatsoever. You have this expectation that whoever your spouse is, wherever they are, maybe they're in the room right now and you don't know it. Ooh, that would be weird, wouldn't it? Maybe (laughs) you're gonna meet them next month at some little gathering or something like that, but you have an expectation, that whoever your future spouse is, that they are doing the hard work of personal development today. Am I right? You want the person that you're eventually gonna be married to to get their financial life in order. You don't want them racking up a bunch of credit card debt that you're gonna to have to pay off once you get together. You don't want them developing this very sordid relationship and sexual history. You want them to be like, hey, get yourself lined out and ready for the relationship that is to come. But can I tell you, that that person that you're hoping is getting their life in order is at this very moment thinking of you. And they're like, man, I hope they're getting their life in order. I really pray that they're not racking up credit card debt and they're not de- you know, developing this long, crazy relational history and things like that. If we expect our future spouse to run towards personal development, to get their life in order today, then we've gotta be willing to do the same thing. Am I the kind of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? How can you, when you get... When you get married, when you have to raise kids, you're basically agreeing to take on responsibility for that person. That's what you're doing. And I I just say lovingly, you cannot take on responsibility for other people if you haven't yet taken on full responsibility for yourself. Like the reason that there is so much friction and brokenness and stuff in our marriages and in our long-term dating relationships and things like that is because we're not addressing the singleness issues that are surfacing in the relational or marriage issues. And by the way, this becomes this question, am I the person, the kind of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? I think I said that right. This becomes a very helpful filter in determining whether or not the person that you're dating is somebody that you should commit to long-term. I talk, to, I talk to young people all the time, most older people too, and they're like, okay, I'm dating this person, and I'm, just, I'm not 100% sure if we should take the next step. Is this the one that I'm supposed to be with forever? And this question can actually help you to frame uh, and, and, and work through what it is that you should do. You might ask yourself the question, is this person that I'm dating, I'm trying to figure out, should I take the next steps with them, are they making promises or are they making preparations? Are they making you promises Or are they making you preparations? Because those are very different. Like if dude says to you, I promise I'm gonna get a job, babe, I promise. But he's been on assistance for like 13, 14 months at this point. He's making promises, but he's not really making preparations. If you're dating a girl and she says, babe, I promise you, I will stop texting with him as soon as you put a ring on it. But until then, I'm gonna keep doing what I do. Run, get away, because that's a promise. It's not a preparation. Ask whether or not The person that you're dating, whether you're dating or deciding based on their potential or their patterns, are you deciding based on what you hope they can be someday, and they've told you, I'm going to get this worked out, I promise, and you've given them plenty of time, but it doesn't seem to be getting any better? That's a pattern. And I would just strongly encourage you not to make decisions based on potential and promises. Instead, make your relational decisions based on somebody who has made preparations, and they are exhibiting a healthy pattern. All right, 2 Timothy 2.22. Run from childish ideas about love and relationships. Run to personal development that will set you up when you finally find the right person. And then Paul finally says here, this is the sort of person that you should be running with, the sort of person that you should be looking for. Now, everything we've said so far has been really good advice for those for everybody, really. If you're not a Christian, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, everything I've said so far would be healthy and helpful to you. And you could do it and it it would be awesome, I promise you, okay? But this last part, is a command that's aimed exactly at Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you're kind of off the hook on this one. But if you are a Christian, you got to lean in because what Paul says here is really important. Who are we supposed to run with? Well, Paul charges Timothy, and by extension, God charges like all of us who are followers of Jesus to enjoy the relationships, enjoy the companionship, pursue relationships with those who call on the name of the Lord with pure hearts. Okay, that phrase, call on the name of the Lord, it, it literally in Greek, it means uh, those who have taken the Lord's last name. That's literally what the Greek says here in this verse. Now, I don't know what God's last name is, Christ, maybe? I don't know, okay? But the point here, the point here, it's like when you get married, you take on the certain, not always, but like traditionally often, you, you know, Amber used to be a Davis and then we got married and she took on my last name, Swayza. I don't know why she did that because nobody can pronounce it or spell it. But anyway, so when you get married, yeah, it's very cool, I guess. It's, it's great to spell your name every single day. Anyway, um, when you get married, often you will take on a new family name. And the idea here is that when people become Christians, they are joining the family of God. They're taking on a new family name. And so Paul says, these are the sorts of people that you should be running with. He says that they are the ones who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That word pure in Greek is the word catharsis, which is an English word as well, right? We just borrowed it straight from Greek. And when somebody has a catharsis, it means that they let go of, Or they divulge all of their negative emotions, their secrets, the things that they've been stuffing down really, really tight. And so Paul tells Timothy here, run with, pursue relationships with people who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. People who are sincerely followers of Christ. This is the command. Now, if you are a Christian, the command from the scripture is to pursue serious dating relationships and marriage relationships with Christians only. Genuinely, I'm just telling you straight up, that's what the Bible says. You can argue if you want to, but I didn't say it, he said it. So, why? Why is that such a hard line? Maybe it's not even that hard of a line, you know what I mean? Like, maybe this is more of a suggestion, and you can kind of do it if you want to sort of thing. The problem with that attitude is that in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul is even more direct in what he says, he tells Christians, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do godliness and ungodliness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness. Now, I want to be really clear here for a moment, okay? Paul is not saying that you uh, non-believers are awful, terrible people. Many of you are better than the Christians in the room. You live better lives. You're kinder people. You're nicer to folks at the drive through This isn't the point, okay? So what is he talking about here? Why would he say if you're a Christian, you should only be yoked with other Christians? And what the heck is the yoke thing anyway? Well, the word yoke actually references like an agricultural tool. Some of y'all are farmers. I'm not so much. But apparently a yoke is a wooden beam that you see here on the photo. It goes across the shoulders of two animals and it keeps them plowing together in a straight line. Okay, So when a farmer needs to get these animals ready to plow, he finds two animals who are the same type. They have roughly the same size, same strength, same temperament. And he puts them together, and they work together in concert in order to accomplish the goal that they were brought together for. However, if you get two animals, two oxen maybe in this case and they don't have the same size, or they don't have the same temperament, and you link them together, and you've got these two, and one wants to go to the right, and the other is trying to pull to the left, do you know what's going to happen? Over a long enough period of time, both of those animals are going to end up exhausted, angry, and ready to fight. I just described some marriages today. Are you with me? Like when we yoke ourselves together with people who don't share our foundational beliefs and values and worldview, what ends up happening is that we're pulling. And like the husband is like, no, we should go this way. And the wife is like, no, we should go this way. And we get exhausted and we get frustrated and we get angry. This is why Paul says, if you're going to yoke yourself, if you're going to join yourself together with somebody, do it on the basis of your faith because your faith is foundational and your faith will never change. Look, if you marry her because she's fine, can I tell you something? She may be a dime. She might be. But every single dime ends up wrinkly in the end. I'm just being real. Every single stud muffin. Good fall someday. If you marry somebody because they are financially stable you realize that 10 years from now, the economy could change and they might not be financially stable anymore. You marry somebody because they're outdoorsy and you love going hiking and then they tear their ACL and they don't feel comfortable going out into the mountains anymore. When you base your relationship on things that can change or be taken from you, you will find yourself in a rough situation in the future because eventually every one of those things will change. So Paul says, listen, find somebody who shares your worldview. Find somebody who shares your faith. Hey, if you're an atheist, find somebody who's an atheist. You will have a happier marriage with an atheist than a Christian because you guys are just going to be constantly buttonheads trying to change each other's minds. It's not going to work out really well. Sometimes it can work out in some ways, but in general, we will find ourselves at our happiest relationally when we are walking along with somebody who is pursuing the exact same things as we are in life. If you are a Christian, that should be Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's the one that you're running after. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy having wealth. It doesn't mean that you can't look for a fine spouse or any of that stuff. But that's not your number one goal. Your number one goal is to be yoked, to run with somebody who shares your faith in Christ. And let me just say one more time, just for the sake of clarity, just because you marry a Christian does not mean that your marriage is going to be drama-free. It does not mean that your marriage is going to be divorce-proof. Christians divorce at almost the exact same rate as non-Christians. Why? Not because we're any better as Christians or worse or anything like that. It's because just like everybody else, we really have trouble putting the wisdom of the Scripture into practice. Okay, let's get real practical. we got to wrap it up. Let's get real practical. Yeah, come on, Dave. Three things, okay? What are three things you could do in this season, if you're single or dating in particular. But hey, listen, even if you're married, if you're divorced, if you're on the brink, these are some things that I do believe could help you take some proper steps in your relationship. So the first one is this. When Amber and I do premarital counseling, um, and we do this a lot, we love it. It's one of the best things that we do with a couple. Before they get married, they'll come sit down in our office and for like four hour long sessions, we'll talk through like money and sex and family history and all these different things together to help prepare them, get them on the same page and, and and set them on the right track. And one of the questions that we start with asking, session number one, we look them in the eye and we say, what, what portions, what areas of your fiance's past and personality worry you about your future marriage? People are like, Dan, I can't wait to start premarital counseling with you. I'm like, can you? Do you know, do you understand? Like, if I ask your spouse, what's the worst part of your fiance? And you really wanna hear it, you need to hear it, Okay. So we ask this question, and and rather than waiting until you're two months away from your wedding date to address this question, why not go ahead and start to ask it now, like in your singleness season, in your dating season, to say, all right, if we were sitting in Dan's office and he asked my beloved, what is it about my life that worries you the most, you probably already know what they're going to say. You probably already know that they're going to say, man, this fool cannot control his spending. He's got a ton of debt and it worries me that it's never going to get any better. Or they're going to say, this guy has so much family drama and broken relationships and like disconnection from his family that I'm worried that that's going to seep into our family. I wish that he could address some of that or she could address some of that now so that we didn't have to deal with it later. Is it your health habits Is it a a jealous streak that runs inside of you? I mean, there are any number of things, but the truth is you already know what the thing is in your life. So rather than waiting, rather than trying to, to address this later, once you find the right person, can I tell you it will be easier to find the right person if you've already addressed this stuff. You will be a more dateable, more marriable partner if you've already dealt with your mama issues. If you've already dealt with your financial past, all of that stuff will help you to find the right person even quicker. So address them now rather than later. Second, if you're currently in a relationship, I would just challenge you to take an honest stock of your boyfriend or girlfriend's patterns. Like we're gonna have a whole message in a few weeks where we talk about how to know if it's time to end. And we're going to be talking about dating relationships. We're going to be talking about uh, engagements. And we're also going to be talking about marriages. How do I know when it's time to call it quits? And there are actually some biblical markers that will help you to know, even if you're a Christian, when to call it quits. But I think even now, you can start to look at their patterns, ignore their promises, ignore you know, their potential. Instead, look at the patterns. What are the patterns that they've exhibited? And if the patterns are going in the wrong direction. If the pattern is continuous and you're not seeing improvement, they may have all the potential in the world, but you guys know as well as I do that oftentimes people fail to live up to their potential. And marrying somebody is such a huge commitment that you don't want to marry somebody based on potential. You want to marry somebody who's made the proper preparations. And so even in this season of dating, I would challenge you to develop some of that um, willingness to ask the hard questions, have hard conversations. And the final thing is this, if you are a sincere follower of Jesus, I will challenge you to pursue those who share your faith. That'll change who you swipe right and left on and it will change where you look for a potential mate. But again, if the goal in the dating season is to have fun, anybody can do that. You can do that on your own, you don't need my help. But if the goal is to prepare yourself to have a marriage that will go the distance, 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, 35 years, 45 years, then you cannot approach your singleness season or your dating season the way everybody else does. You'll have to make some different choices if you want to have some different uh, outcomes. And so that's my challenge to you. Choose to pursue. Choose to run with people who are headed in the same direction as you are. (music) Oh, 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 oh,